0: All right. If you would open your Bibles up to the book of Job. Job is before Psalms, so if you can get to Psalms, that great big book in the middle of your Old Testament, it's the book before it, the book of Job. Job is a longer book in our in our Bible. It's one of the longer books. It's forty two chapters. You can get bogged down in it. This series is the good news of the Bible. And what we are wanting to do each Sunday night is to give an overview of each consecutive book. Um, Tonight is Job, the good news coming out of the book of Job. It wasn't too long ago that our church went through Job on a Sunday morning. Some of you all remember that. And for the most part, and I can look around the room, I, I dare to say that everybody in here could give an overview of Job It is unique in that way, where it is an Old Testament book, a larger one at that, and yet the the, the setting, the context, the main characters, the details, it's perhaps the the most well-known. If I asked right now for somebody to give an explanation of some Old Testament books, there would not be many that you would feel good about. But Job, even with its size, is one. And that's a neat thing. It's neat in that way, that it is long, but it's good. Tonight I want to give us an overview of the book of Job. I've got four points. I want to help you recall the story of Job. The first point that I want you to hear to remember the book of Job is. Job teaches us the beauty of a story. Job teaches us the beauty of a story. The reason why everybody in here knows it, knows what Job is about, could recall a little bit, is because it is. Perhaps as much as anything in our whole Bible, it is just a story, a fascinating story, And we remember stories. It has been well said, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. Leave church any Sunday and ask the people that you have lunch with, what did you think about today's message? And the huge majority of the time, they will say, I liked the stories he told. My kids have often said, when they are asked that question, why don't you tell more stories? They're the, they're the only parts we like. It's something about stories, isn't it? People will be on their phones, they'll be not paying attention, they'll call it boring, they'll be bogged down, they will be completely uninterested in 144,000 in what's going on with angels or winds or all of that. But as soon as you stop for a second and say, hey, I had a son that had a journal that was with his Sunday school teacher, everybody will set it down and pay attention. That's the way stories are. God works in stories. Stories are beautiful And the book of Job is a story. Look with me at chapter 1. It's well written. You're captivated by the very beginning. We're just going to read the first five verses. There was a man. You're already drawn in, aren't you? I want to hear more is what you're feeling. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. You're reading the Bible here, but you very well could be reading a beautiful, illustrated kids' book, could you not? It's a story. It's a beautiful story. You've got a man described as blameless and upright. It begins with this, these neat words, there was a man, and yet in verse three, you have him described as, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. It sounds like the beginning to a captivating movie. Verse four, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. What a great introduction there are 42 chapters in this book, and it is a long one, but the first five verses draw you in. You're interested. And then from there, it immediately takes a most interesting turn because it says the angels are checking in with God, and one of them is Satan. And so Satan starts to talk to God about what he plans to do, and God suggests to him, well, why don't you do this? And now you're like, what? What? What kind of a story is that where God and Satan are just having a conversation about what they want to happen in the world? In some ways, that is every single one of our lives. In some ways, that's every single one of our days. And in some ways, that's every single one of our thoughts and experiences. Is this the devil working in my life? What does God say about this? How might God be honored in this? And yet this is just the introduction to the book of Job. This is just chapter one. The first point I want you to see is that Job shows us the beauty of a story. Picture in, in, in engaging somebody out in the world and you just introduce yourselves and you get to know them and one of the two says, well, do you have a minute? Can we sit down and talk? And from there, a beautiful story unfolds as they get to know each other. About six or seven weeks ago, there was a young man, 25 years old, that started attending our church. Out of nowhere, I'd never seen him. Comes in quietly, doesn't say a lot, sits by himself. Nice guy, shirt tucked in, very respectful. And one day walking out, I just said, hey man, my number's in the bulletin. If you ever wanna get together, give me a call. This week, I got a phone call from a number I didn't know. I didn't even know his name. And he says, hey, you said to call you sometime, so I did. I said, all right, well, let's get together. So I said, how about Sunday at five? So he met me here today at five. I was just with him. Come to find out he's a military kid. His dad's career military. He's lived all over the place, everywhere. He's lived in eight different states. He's been deployed with his family all over the place. Spent many years in South Korea, Graduate, went to University of Akron, graduated from Murray State University with a degree in engineering, applied all over the world, and got hired by Amazon at Shepherdsville. Needed a place to live, so he we went online and searched for rental properties through an online website, has never once met a landlord, and they got him a rental house in Tindor. He loves to hunt because he's a country guy. He went hunting out in Bardstown, and a man in Bardstown told him, hey, you gotta check out that church in Fairdale right across from Tindor, First Baptist Fairdale. He's been attending here ever since. He's in the military himself. He's got a dream job with Amazon, and his dad, as a, as a retired military, is now pastoring a church in Fort Campbell. He still walks with the Lord, and he's a 25-year-old guy. Isn't that fascinating? That is just one Person's story from Sunday morning. Stories are like that. Stories are beautiful. They get our attention. And Job is a story. It's a fascinating story. Job has characters in it, doesn't it? It's got Job, right? The, the, the best guy on earth, it says, the greatest. It's got Job's wife, the one who says, hey, curse God and die. It's got his 10 children it's got god and the devil as some key characters doesn't it it's got characters job has drama it has suspense job has tragedy heavy heavy tragedy make you cry tragedy but job has restoration isn't it in, in it doesn't it It also has Leviathan and Behemoth, right? I mean, this is a whole little category of in itself that is really interesting, right? You could just take the story of Job and be all into that, or you could just take Job and talk about Leviathan and Behemoth, dinosaurs and dragons. Job has friendship, Job has family, and Job has faith. All three of those subjects are massive, In this story, the framework of Job is an easy one to remember. The first two chapters are those scenes with God and the devil and Job. You remember those. Basically two scenes there, right? Three to 37 are Job's response and wrestling with and thinking through and processing, what in the world is going on in my life with all of this negativity? God is absent the whole time. We see nothing from God, chapters three through 37. Job does have friends that come into the scene, and that's the interaction there. And then at chapter 38, to the end of the chapter 42, 38, 39, 40, 41, you have God's response. It's an easy framework for Job. The first two chapters, three through 37, and the final five chapters, 38 to 42. That's the story of Job. And Job teaches us the beauty of a story. I told that story of the young man that's been coming to church that I met with today to get you thinking about story. I want to encourage you to know your own story. Sometimes we say our testimony and sometimes we say our story. Sometimes we mean the same thing when we use those. But I want to encourage you as we finish this sermon tonight on the book of Job, to find God in your story, to find your place in what God's doing in your story, that your story, your life, would have the salvation of God in the center of it. Number one, Job teaches us the beauty of a story. Number two, Job teaches us the bigness of God, the bigness of God. This might be, the biggest thing coming out of Job. I don't know if it is. If not this, then, then it'd be suffering. But one of the awesome things that you learn from Job is that God is huge. God is so huge. What unfolds in the first two chapters is the devil is telling God that the only reason Job is as good of a guy as he is is because you have him so protected. That's what happens in the first two chapters. Do you remember that? What happens in the first two chapters is the devil is saying, God, the only reason Job is great and the only reason he obeys you and the only reason he gives lip service to worshiping you is because you have him so blessed. If he wasn't so commended, if he had some suffering in his life, he would not worship you. And so it is God's recommendation to say, have at it, devil. That's my guy in keeping with Revelation 7. You might say Job was sealed. He was guaranteed and he would not turn his back on God. And so what you have being played out through the life of Job, the testimony of Job, the whole life of Job is the bigness of God and that God can go toe to toe uh, with Satan and guarantee the outcome. For as much as Satan tried everything, he could not beat God God is truly all-powerful, the bigness of God, the bigness of God. Chapter 1 tells us that the angels, the sons of God, were patrolling the earth, and they came to check in with God. That's a pretty big God. That's a pretty big God. In chapters 38 through 41, where God starts answering, he says some amazing things. He says, Job, do you know where I was or were you there when I drew the dimensions of the earth? Were you there when I told the ocean where to stop? Were you there when I made these things? Hey, can you tame a dragon in the ocean? Are you able to get a dinosaur under control and I can do those things? The way that God gets Job's attention In the end, is simply by telling him how powerful he is. He really doesn't say a whole lot to Job about Job. He just points out how big God is. And when you recognize how big God is, you recognize how small you are. Look with me at Job chapter 42. Turn to the last chapter. This is my second point, the bigness of God. Job chapter 42, this is Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Let's stop there for a second. In other words, Job's saying, that's above my pay grade right there. This This is more than I've thought about. You're, you're bigger than I am. Your ways are not my ways, God. There are things going on in the minds of, mind of God that we have no idea about. John Piper has said that at any given moment, God is doing more than 10,000 different things in your life, and you might be aware of one, of two, one or two of them. He's that big. He's that big. This morning, I mentioned that he knows every hair on your head, that he knows every head that there is, that he knows every single person as, 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 as um, as somebody was walking out today, they said that they had heard that, that, that faithful preacher out of Atlanta, Louis Giglio, say before, yes, the Bible says that God knows every hair on our head, but what's really the truth is that the hairs on our head are always coming and going. You're always having more grow in and you're always having more fall out. And so the amount of hairs on your head is always changing and God knows that too. God is that big that he knows all of that. God is so big and you have to acknowledge that there's a lot going on that you didn't know. I'm gonna make this point in just a minute, but in the midst of all the suffering in the book of Job, and y'all will remember I said this many times when I preached through Job. If you were here when we preached through Job, I was making this point week after week. Job is an incredibly sad story, but the reader often doesn't feel the sadness. Because the reader knows the majesty and sovereignty and goodness of God is on Job when Job doesn't see it. Job doesn't know about his experience what the reader knows. The reader reads Job knowing the bigness of God. Job experiences his life at times wrestling with the presence of God. You and I read the book of Job and we must see The bigness of God. Back to chapter 42. Hear and I will speak. Verse 4, I will question you and you make it known to me. Verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had come face to face with the bigness of God. You could say the goodness of God and the holiness of God and all of that, but the greatest emphasis here is really just the size of God, the sovereignty of God, the strength of God. Martin Luther once said that even the devil is God's devil and the book of Job teaches us that. The devil is absolutely on a leash. God's not worried about anything. He is so big, he's got it all under control. One of the most interesting pieces of the whole book of Job is that Job was recommended to the devil in chapter one. And preachers make that point all the time. Hey, are you living faithful enough to God that God might recommend you to the devil? We talk about God protecting us from the devil and he certainly does that. But here, Job was so faithful to God and God's big power was so working in Job that God is the one who tells the devil to go after Job. You've got to be a big, sovereign, powerful savior, a keeping God, a keeping God in order to recommend your sealed people to the devil. He's a big God and Job teaches us the bigness of God. Number one, it teaches us the beauty of a story. Number two, it teaches us the bigness of God. Number three, Job teaches us the bitterness of this life. Sometimes so in such a heavy way that it's hard to discuss. There is incredible Suffering in Job. We read chapter 19 as our call to worship, and you heard it there. Job was miserable. Job was miserable. Job has so much suffering in it that you have to conclude life's not fair. Job has so much suffering in it that it will leave you speechless. When we have small problems, we often have quick fixes, don't we? Here's what you need to do. You need to just do this. Somebody has some little issues, some little ailments, some hard times that they're facing, we'll give a quick answer. We'll tell them something to do, and then we'll walk away. But that's for small things. When suffering is grand, when suffering is deep, when suffering is long, when pain is real, there aren't a lot of quick fixes, are there? And Job is really good for that. When Job's Job's friends first arrive, do you remember what they did? Does anybody remember? What'd they do? They sat there in silence for seven straight days. That's how deep the pain and suffering and tragedy and misfortune and bitterness was. To make matters worse or to make life more clear and real, Job is known as blameless. There's no place in this story, no place in this story for us to conclude Job had done something to bring this upon himself. This was simply because of the sovereignty of God allowing the devil to attack him. That's the explanation. That the big God in his sovereignty allowed the devil to go after Job. That's the explanation. If you don't like it, then you don't believe the Bible. But that's the explanation. And so Job's suffering and the bitterness in his life was in the sovereign hands of God who allowed the devil to do that to Job. Life is sometimes bitter, like that. And Job teaches us that. Jesus himself said in this life, you will have trouble. Life is bitter at times. And there are times when there's not a quick answer, a quick fix. This is why we must learn to grieve with people and ride with people and stick with people and stay with people and walk with people. I'll be with you in this. Life is bitter. Let me show you a little bit of the bitterness. Look back to chapter 1, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, and their oldest. "'Brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job "'and said, the oxen were plowing "'and the donkeys feeding beside them, "'and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them "'and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, "'and I alone have escaped to tell you. "'While he was yet speaking, there came another, "'and he said, the fire of God fell from heaven "'and burned up the sheep and the servants "'and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. "'While he was yet speaking, there came another and said,' The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking. the wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. So the scene resets itself. Verse seven, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity Curse God and die, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, job did not sin with his lips. Job is filled with suffering and tragedy, teaching us the bitterness of this life. If ever, ever, ever there was a person, If there was ever a person other than Christ that you would say they don't deserve that, it was Job. And yet Job still got that. All of his kids died. All of his wealth lost. All of the success that he had removed to where all he had left was his faith in God. A miserably sad, Story. That's what Job is in so many ways. The bitterness of this life. You and I need to have a category in our faith for suffering. We need to know that all of God's promises are true, but things may not get better here. You need to know that in your faith. You need to know that we were made for heaven we're citizens of heaven now. And like we read this morning that we'll preach on here soon enough, there's coming a day where we'll never cry again in heaven, but we're not there yet. There's lots of crying here. There's lots of hurting here. There is lots of, that's not how I wanted my life to go here. Life is often bitter We don't believe the prosperity gospel. We don't believe that you trust in God and everything will be okay. We don't believe that you trust in God and everything will be good. We believe that he will be with us. He's the treasure. He's the foundation. He's the source. And the book of Job teaches us about this bitterness. Number one, it teaches us the beauty of a story. Number two, it teaches us the bigness of God. Number three, it teaches us the bitterness of this life And lastly, number four, Job teaches us the blessing of God's salvation. In a striking, striking way, Job doesn't give up. He keeps believing. It's the beauty of gospel and salvation. It's the beauty of grace and mercy. It's the beauty of God keeping his own. Job continues to trust. His wife says, you're going to keep holding your integrity? And Job says, yeah, I'm going to worship in this moment. I'm going to worship with all my kids dead. I'm gonna worship in all of my misery. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, to which every scoffer would say, well, if that's the type of God he is, or if that's the way your God treats you, or if that's the life he's given you, I don't want anything to do with him. And Job holds out and says, I don't know what he's given me, and that's not what I wanted him to give me, but I will still worship God in this life. It's the blessing of the salvation that he has. The Bible describes Job as righteous, blameless. The Bible describes him as a man who repents of his sin. The Bible seems to say that Job doesn't sin that much, but it shows us that he's a repentant man, The Bible shows us as Job being so concerned about the forgiveness of sins in people's lives that he went and did what he could to to seemingly get forgiveness in the lives of his children. That's that weird stuff happening in chapter 1 where every day Job went and offered sacrifices to consecrate his children in case they have sinned. That's what it says. I preached on that a long time ago, so we don't have a whole sermon for that tonight. But that's what the Bible says. I mean, Job was so focused on God that he did things to help other people be focused on God. The blessing of God's salvation is is throughout this book. At the end of the book, which we've already read, we see Job repenting. God, you're right. God, you do what you want. God, you're bigger than me. God, you're better than me. And if ever somebody could have said, I'm the best man, Nobody's better than me. I deserve this. It would have been Job. And yet Job concludes, God, you're better than me. Your salvation. And in chapter 19, if you'll turn back there, this is where we started. In a long monologue of his suffering and him wrestling with it. Job says some of the best faithful lines you could ever hear. Job 19 verse 23 Oh that my words were written oh that they were inscribed in a book oh that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever for I know that my redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. There's a lot of things that we don't know about your life or my life but we can conclude this I don't know how long you're going to live. I don't know how much money you're going to make. I don't know if you're going to die healthy at the end of your life saying I had a good one. If you're going to die of of suffering through cancer saying why, 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 why. We don't know that. But you can matter-of-factly know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again victorious over death, and that he will be who you will stand against in judgment, and you can escape that judgment because of the work of God on the cross. Loved by God, anchored in him, forgiven and right with God. Your salvation can be secure as can be because of your redeemer. And whatever this life brings to you, you can know it, you can know it, you can know it, that your redeemer lives. In this moment, Job had a thousand questions. There's so much I don't understand, Job was saying. There is so much I don't understand about what's going on in my life. But what I do know is my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will be the one standing, and I'll be believing in Him. What a salvation! What a salvation. I want to remind you that Job is held up as exemplary. The book of James mentions the faith of Job, the patience of Job, the perseverance of Job. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets put Job up there with Noah as being exemplary, with Daniel as being exemplary. Job to the prophets, which are much later in the Old Testament, much later in history, Job is one of the examples of being faithful. The book of Job, while it is a beautiful story, is also a Job, is also a book that offers to us salvation. The Bible does not say that you can earn it. The Bible does not say that you can be good enough to get to heaven. Albeit, the Bible teaches that you need a, a savior. And Job's life, albeit a very impressive, admirable, admirable life, testifies to us that we need a redeemer. It is fair to say that Job was a better man than I am and Job was a better man than we are. And yet he needed a savior and his faith was in the big sovereign God that loved him and sent his savior for him. Job's a great book. It's a long book. It's a beautiful story with a big God about a bitter life that points us to the blessing of God's salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Job. It's nice for us to look back at it. God, I pray that those categories that are often real categories for us, life, suffering, God, our story, the seasons of life, the ups and downs, the roller coaster, the experiences, that we would find you in the middle of it all and that you would be a keeping God to us. Thank you for Jesus, our savior. Thank you that we can learn from Job's story. Father, may our faith be filled with the truth of the good news from the book of Job. Thank you for our time here tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen.